following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Check, check. Okay. Um, so, uh, thank you um, for being here, and thank you for this opportunity, Mr. Bill, Ms. Darlene. Um, I stand before you very humbled today, very, very humbled, um, because today I can't uh, uh, say that I'm here. All right, so the point, the point uh, I want to make this morning is uh, we don't stand by our own righteousness. <clears throat> and when Mr. Bill asked me to, to speak earlier this week, um, I kind of was standing in my own righteousness. So I was like, man, I have it, you know, things are going good. I'm walking good with God. Um, you know, check all the boxes. Uh, Okay, you know, um, and uh, and I was like, okay, sure, sure, I can, you know, I can, sure, and uh, um, and I don't know if it was, uh, you know, Satan roaring, you know, seeking who made who he may devour, uh, or whether it was uh, uh, God. God had other plans and was like, okay. Gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pull that, pull that, uh, you know, what you think is your support out. But I had a blowout last night, and uh, really, or yesterday, and really didn't think I was gonna be here. Uh, so, pu- public, you guys may not know this, but I, I deal with a little bit of an anger issue, um, and uh, it doesn't show up too often. But when it does, uh, my poor family. Um, takes the brunt of it, and uh, so, you know, uh, just imagine a monkey getting mad and just, uh, that, that was me, uh, and uh, so I was like, how can I, how can I stand before anybody and tell them, hey, here's, here's, a, here's a word from the Lord, and, you know, here's, you know, who am I? I'm nothing. I'm I'm no better than nobody, uh, which is the point, is the point. So uh, I really can relate to King David. I mean, imagine if, you, if you're familiar with the story. Uh, he's had people murdered. He's stolen people's wives, done a whole bunch of terrible things. Uh, you know, later on in life, his family's trying to kill each other. Um, but God calls him a man after his own heart. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, you don't have to turn there, but it basically says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And anytime we rely on our righteousness to go, yep, I'm good enough to do X, Y, and Z for the kingdom of God, um, that's kind of where you're running, you're running afoul. Um, our righteousness is never going to be good enough. It's never sustainable enough. Uh, you can put on this air that, yep, I've got it all together. 
I've got all these natural gifts and abilities. I can speak in front of people. Um, you know, I, I've led Bible studies, and I've seen the work of God, and I've seen the Lord move, and God's used me for this, da 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 And it's nothing. You have one night of you losing your mind, um, and then you're like, where I, I'm, I'm not the bag of chips I thought I was. Um, and, and none of us are. And none of us are expected to be that. Um, this is the scripture I want you guys to go to. Hebrews 4, one of my favorites, 12 through 6. 12 through 16, excuse me. Yeah, that, that'd be a little... Read backwards, everyone. We're going to... All right, verse 4, starting in, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 12. And, and this is not the beginning of the chapter, but in, in what we're going to talk about today, this really starts off with a bang. So it says, the wo- I'm going to read it in the Amplified, so it may be a little wordy, but um, I think it's important. Uh, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power. Okay, we can go home now. Um full of power. It's not dead. It's life-changing if we'll let it. Um, making it effective, operative, energizing, and excuse me, active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature. And the deepest parts of our nature are not pretty. Uh, this flesh is not not pretty. Um, this flesh, if it has its way, will do contrary to God constantly. And, uh, you know, the word says that if we walk by the flesh, we'll reap death. If we walk by the spirit, that's where we have life. Um, let's see, where were we here? Exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Verse 13. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight. But all things are open and exposed, naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God sees all. So, you know, I just happen to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, share some of my weaknesses um, that happened just yesterday. But each and every one of us struggles with something. Uh, Each and every one of us has uh, the flesh to contend with. The good thing is we don't contend alone. And we don't contend powerless. Um, and we don't contend under our own righteousness. You stand on your own righteousness, you're, you're going to give up. You're going to fail. Um, you know, you're, our righteousness is not the rock that we should be looking towards. But it's easy to do. It's easy to conflate, you know, like, oh, I'm Christian and I'm living good and I'm, I'm right with God and the birds are singing and, you know, everything is going my way and... Well, that uh, the weather changes, right? <laughs> the weather can change. God never changes. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. That's the rock. Jesus is the rock. He didn't sin, but he had those same temptations. 
those same opportunities like me to fly off the, the handle and be angry, um, those same proclivities to desire something that they shouldn't, he shouldn't have, um, those were there he, so he can relate. So point number one is they, he's, God sees all. Point number two, but he can relate. Verse 16, let us then, this is the, the crux of everything I have to say, is let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good times for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Um, you know, it, it's God's grace, his mercy. I mean, I, to stand before you, I needed to find God's mercy because I, I, you know, uh, who, <laughs> we can be our worst, own worst enemies, uh, especially if we're relying on our own righteousness. Um, who's, who's the first person, the accuser of the brethren, right, who's going to remind you, hey, guess what, knucklehead? You just did X, Y, and Z, so, you know, you can't, you can't tell anybody about the word of God. You know, you didn't live the word of God. The word of God doesn't change despite what, what I did. It doesn't, you know, and the word of God is the only thing that's going to bring freedom. It's the only thing that's going to be changed. We read right at the very beginning, it says that it's the power energizing the word of God. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that, is that, you know, you're all going to, we're all going to have those failures. Turn to God. Don't give up. Don't, don't you know, the, the word of God is wonderful. It talks about a righteous man falls seven times. Seven times he gets up, or 70 times. I'm trying to remember how it goes. It's a lot of times. You keep getting up, but what gets us up? It's not because we have the strength or the moral, you know, the righteousness. It's because God's promise. We hear the word of God, and we're like, hope. I have hope. And with that faith, God goes, power. And then we can fly. So, um, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. I always envy guys that can get up here with this and just walk around, you know. I have to take notes and, and bring books and things like that. When I was getting ready to share, basically I'm going to share a good part of my testimony. Like I was born in 1942. So most of you didn't, I think all of you didn't exist then. <laughs> but... Uh, so I, I took a few notes, and for, fortunately, I write big, so when I put it on the computer, it came out on one page, so we won't be here all day. Um, I wanted to share a little background, and I want to start in about 1971, and still a lot of you people weren't around, but I was. And I thought I was really that bag of chips, wherever you went, and uh, found out later I wasn't. But in 1971, my life changed dramatically. Uh, I was about 28, maybe, 27, 28, somewhere in there. Anyway, 
uh, a little bit of background. Darlene and I met in Minnesota, and we decided we were going to get married because we were so much in love. And we still are. And so we decided, because I come from a family of 13 children, and my parents would have lots of opportunities to attend weddings. So we decided we would go to Arizona, where her family was, and get married there. So, and my family couldn't travel to, to Arizona, because they lived up in northern Wisconsin, and they really like it there. I can't figure that out. Uh, so we went to Arizona and got married in a Lutheran church. I was raised Episcopalian, and I figured, well, you know, one less Episcopalian isn't going to hurt anybody. So we got married in the Lutheran church, and back then, we still, it was still legal. I mean, you know, we got married in a Lutheran church, uh, but, but we, uh, we asked God to bless our marriage, and he did amazingly. And then in 71, that was in 1964, and we moved to St. Louis, Missouri in 1965. So we didn't stay in Arizona real long, about a year and four or five months, I think. And when we got to St. Louis, that's where God wanted us to be. We didn't know that God was doing all of this, that he was taking us a very circuitous route, like in a circle, kind of. So when we got to St. Louis, what God did to get us to that point where the people that we met would impact our lives, forever. And he, he took us kind of in a strange route. He took us through three different Lutheran churches to get us to some folks who were by name Bert and Millie Bertelson, uh, who we will never forget. And, uh, you know, so anyway, in fall of 65, we moved to St. Louis, and, we, and we, were, we were Lutherans. You know, I was raised in a church. Darlene was raised in a church. But, you know, you can go to church or you can be the church. So we're going to church. We're churchgoers, okay? So we're going to church, but we're not walking the walk. And when back then, we didn't even know there was a talk. So we weren't walking the walk. We weren't talking the talk. We were just churchgoers. We went into church, and, and we did our church thing on Sunday. But then we joined this Lutheran church in St. Louis, which was fairly close to where we, our apartment was at that time. And so we met with the pastor. We attended a few Sundays. And then the pastor came to us and said, you know, you guys really don't fit here. How would you like your pastor to tell you, you really don't fit here? So, but it was a God thing. It was a good thing. So, our pastor says, you don't really fit here. But, he said, there's this Lutheran missions church way up on the other side of the city where he wanted us to go. He said, you could fit in there. So, we went up and talked to the pastor there, and he welcomed us. And so, we said, okay, we can go to this church because that pastor obviously didn't want us. So we, we got there, 
And over a period of time, I was elected the, uh, the deacon of evangelism for the church, okay? So I was in charge of all of the outreach for that church. And it was a mission church. There weren't very many people, but it started growing fairly rapidly. And so we had all these big outreaches, and, and we had this pastor from the, uh, the synagogue out of Minneapolis or somewhere came down, and I did, gave a speech about reaching out. And then we went out knocking on doors. And we'd pull up in front of the house, and we'd say, man, I hope they're not home. <laughs> Here's the deacon of evangelism, right? He's saying, man, I hope they're not home. And half the time they weren't. So, so God answers prayer. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, after about two or three years, I can't, not, not even that long, I think maybe two years, the church folded. The pastor moved to Tennessee or somewhere down there, and the church just kind of dried up, and everybody went their own ways. So then God moved us to another church called Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in Bridgeton, Missouri. And that wasn't close to our house either. That was over by St. Louis Airport. But So we went over there, and that's where this couple was that I told you about, Bert and Millie Bertelson. They had been sitting in that church, and this couple is spirit-filled believers, and, and they're, you know, uh, what do you call people from Sweden and Norway and Germany and, huh? Yeah, Scandinavian, so they were Lutherans, you know. But that's where, that's where they came from. But they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're sitting in this church for seven years, and God said, don't do anything, don't say anything, sit. So they did. Seven years. So then we got there, and in the meantime, my old best friend, his name was Jerry Eastman. We grew up together. We were kind of like miniature crooks together. We didn't do anything really bad, but we had a lot of fun. And Jerry and his wife came and stayed at our house, and one night we were just sitting there talking, and he said, do you know if you died today, you'd, you'd go to heaven? I said, well, I guess so. And Darlene said, I think so. He said, do you know that you can actually know? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I think so. I'm a fairly good person. And, and, so, and they really didn't push it, okay? They just, they just dropped that question, which, which really, you know, and, and we understand now that, you know, being saved and filled with the Spirit and walking the walk and all of that is not just so we can go to heaven. It's to impact lives that are around us. So they left it at that. But it started, it opened something up in our hearts, and we started searching. And at that time, Bert and Millie Bertelson decided to start a home Bible study. And this home Bible study would travel from place to place. And at, at that time, I was, I was still fairly apathetic. She was starting to get ignited a little more than I was. But through it all, God started working in our lives and through Bert and Millie and this Bible study, and it, and it kind of started traveling. It went from their house to different people who were there. And this friend of mine, Dennis, 
and I were we were kind of like they're having the Bible study there, and we're standing in the door over here, just kind of watching to see you because there's Holy Spirit stuff going on, you know, and we're Lutherans, <laughs> so. We're standing there kind of peeking through the door, and then finally the Bible study comes to my house. That gets dangerous. So it's at my house. Dennis and I, they're in the, in the living room having the Bible study, and this is like the kitchen door, and Dennis and I are standing there like this. And pretty soon Dennis starts going. He's going like this, and, and, and I'm starting to go like this, you know, and, and something's starting to happen to us. And... <laughs> So Bert and Millie were kind of, they were leading the Bible study, but they were watching us. And we're, we're kind of getting uneasy. So Bert and Millie came over and said, do you guys want to go back and pray? And I said, we think so. So they took us into a back bedroom, and they laid hands on Dennis and prayed for him. And he got saved right there, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit right there. And I saw that happen. And then they came to me, and I prayed and asked Jesus to take my life. And they laid their hands on me. And when they did, and I know this isn't always what happens to people, but it was like God took a hot poker and put it right there and just shoved it to my feet. And I really didn't understand what he did. But he burned He burned something out of me, and it took me years <laughs> to figure out what it was, and I, I know it had to be. It couldn't have been like this big core of sin. It couldn't have been, you know, because Jesus took that on the cross. I, and I believe to this day he burned apathy out of me. That'll change your life. There is so much apathy within the church body today. Not, I'm not talking about champions or anywhere particular. I'm talking about the church at large. There is just, I think there's too many of us that are just bench warming, and we need to just get apathy burned out of us. But that was for me for that day, and God took that out of my life. After that, he moved us to Buffalo, New York, we were there for maybe a month longer than a year or something. But during that year, God used us in a youth group. He cooked us up with a spirit-filled Lutheran pastor <laughs> up by Niagara Falls. And we led a youth group for about a year. And in that year, God started speaking to my heart, you need to go home. This is a hard part. You need to go home and talk to your dad. And I listened. And finally, I decided to call my dad. And I said, Dad, can I come home? He owned a construction company. That's where I get a lot of my building background. My dad and his dad and his dad before him were all carpenters and builders and mill workers and, and cabinet makers and all of that. So, But anyway... I said, can I come home and work with you? 
And my brother was already working with him and my brother-in-law. So he said, sure, come on home. So I started making plans. We were going to leave in May to go back home. My dad had a massive heart attack and died in April. So I didn't get to go home to talk to him. But I had already made all of these plans, so we packed up and we moved back home. And I thought, well, maybe we can help run the construction company. So, But my dad had an odd way of running it, and eventually, long story short, it folded. So we couldn't do that. And I got from there, God moved me to a turkey company. So instead of soaring with eagles, I was working with turkeys. So, and I was a traffic manager because my background, and I forgot to say that, was in the freight business. I was with ABF Freight in Buffalo, New York when I moved back home. So I'd quit them and moved back home. And so I was a traffic manager there, and then, then I got moved into sales because I was pretty good with the customers. So they moved me into sales, and I started rising up within that, the food industry, the turkey industry, poultry, and all of that. And so they, people started noticing me all over the country. I don't know why, but they did. So I started getting calls from headhunters. You know what headhunters are? They, they, want, they call people on behalf of somebody else to get you to go talk to them. So they called me, and this one headhunter searched me around and found me at my mother's house on a Sunday. I don't know how they ever got her phone number, but they did. So they talked to me and offered me a job in Minnesota. So I went over and talked to them. It was called Land Lakes. I know most of you have probably heard of that. So I went there. I was there for one year. And a headhunter called me again and said, Hudson Foods in Fort Smith, Arkansas, Rogers, Arkansas, wants to talk to you. So I said, I'm not looking for a job. He said, well, go talk to them anyway. So I did. So I went down there and talked to them. And the president of the company, I met with him. And he wanted to hire me as their overall sales manager for their company, which was a pretty good-sized company at that time because they were into not only turkeys but chickens and other foods and stuff. So. Uh, it was called Hudson Foods. So I, w I answered directly at that point to Red Hudson, who was the president of the company. So I'm doing really, really well. My salary is going up, and I'm thinking, man, I've got this. You know, I'm, re I'm really where God wants me. And I started measuring my success by my paycheck. And I thought, man, I've really got this. And then, and I still didn't figure out why, a phrase started coming out of my mouth because I found out Red Hudson was one of, he, wa he wasn't a real planner. He was kind of a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy, you know. He would, he would make decisions on the spur of the moment for no reason. And I should have got a taste of that immediately because there was red flags that went up because my first duty when I got there was to establish myself as the head of the sales department and then go and tell the guy that had my job that he had to go. Yeah. I had to fire the guy whose place I was taking. And I did. I just explained to him. I said, Red said you got to go. 
And he was really like an independent contractor. He wasn't really employed by Hudson Foods. He was, he was, he was an independent contractor. So he left. I took over. And then I noticed him making some other changes just like this and like this. And then this phrase kept coming out of my mouth. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if at some point he walks in my office and says, you got to go. And I told a few people that. So from here, this is where I want to go. And this won't take real long, so kind of bear with me. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. We'll start at the beginning. In the beginning, God, that word God right there is Elohim. It means creator God, the God who creates, the creative power of God. And if you read on down, verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was. And it go on to verse 6, it says, Then God said, and you go a little further down, and it says, It was so. Verse 9, Then God said, and it was so. Verse 14, Then God said, and it was so. Everybody knows this story. That's why I'm not going through the whole Scripture. In verse 20, Then God said, let. And all of these, these then God says, right after that it said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. God was creating with his mouth. He was creating things in the spirit realm that showed up in the physical realm. Let there be. Then, in verse 26, God said, not let there be. He said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our likeness. Image. You look in a mirror, you see an image. That image looks back at you, and it's exactly like you. Likeness. Likeness is a little different than image. Likeness is like a like. Isn't that deep? It means a like. It means you are alike. You are just like me. So when God made man in his image and breathed his spirit within that man, out of the dust of the earth rose up a just like me. me, me, me. In his image and his likeness. And that word likeness is very important. Because what we see God do in the spirit realm, we can do in this realm. Now, we cut ourselves very short because what God spoke came into existence. What God formed with his hands. All the way through the Old Testament, you'll see God speaking to build things up, to build nations up, and he will speak to tear nations down, to take kings off their thrones. He spoke. You didn't see him come down, grab somebody by the shirt collar, and toss them out the door. He spoke, and it happened. And in that same likeness, with his words, he was building up and tearing down. And what we see God do in the heavenly realm, we can do in this physical realm. 
Jesus even said, the works that you see me do, you shall do also, and even greater than these, because I go to the Father. Jesus said, we have that same ability. That spirit man inside us has that ability. Okay? We speak words, and we don't stop to think about what we're saying sometimes. We speak words that come out of our mouth, and those words are eternal. If you read back here a little further, you'll see where we're going to be judged for every idle word we ever uttered. That can get scary, but thank God for Jesus and the cross, right? That covers a lot. That covers everything. So what I want to get to is being in the image and the likeness of God. Turn to James chapter 3. And we'll get there real quick. <laughs> I promise. Well, you'll get there real quick. It takes me a minute. Okay. James chapter 3. It talks about in verse 1 about not letting too many people become teachers because they'll incur a stricter judgment. Don't let that scare you, okay? For we all stumble. This is where I want to talk about. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And Marcus talked a little bit about that. But there is not a perfect man except the one who went to the cross for us, Jesus. So if you put the bits in the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, they'll direct, we can direct them where they'll go. It talks about a ship with a tiny rudder that'll guide that ship wherever the pilot wants to take it. And it talks about the tongue being a, a fiery sword kind of thing and, a, and something that will light fires. It can light fires. But turn over to verse 9, and it says, with this tongue it's talking about, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And had I read that back in 19, whatever year that was, 80-something, by then it was in the 80s when I was in, our, in Springfield, Missouri. And, but then that phrase, let's get back to that phrase, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. If Red came in my office one day and just fired me or told me I had to go or whatever. And then one day it happened. Red comes in my office and said, we need to talk. And he sits down and he said, I've got to let you go. And it didn't surprise me. It astounded me. I almost fell off my chair. At that moment, I didn't think about what I was saying before. But it was exactly what I professed with my mouth. He said, I've got to let you go. Now listen to this part. I said, why? Am I not doing my job? He said, you're doing a great job. I said, well, why, do I have to, why are you going to let me go then? And he said, I don't know. This is the president of a company. And he said, I don't know. He said, I've got to let you go. And I said, okay. 
because there was no turning back at that point. So he said, I've got to let you go. But he said, whatever you need, if you need my plane to fly somewhere for an interview, you've got it. He let me keep the company car for 30 days to drive wherever I wanted to to do whatever I needed to do. That's God. You know, how many people get fired and they say, you know, and plus he gave me a bonus. Yeah, he, he gave me a pretty good size severance. So, you know, and from that moment, uh, I was kind of on my own. We had a very nice house in Springfield, so we started looking at, what do we do now? So we sold our house, and we moved out to the country. You remember that. <laughs> we moved out on five acres, and we found a house that I could afford with not much money, which was pretty fun. It was a nice place. But some people didn't think so. But so anyway, my salary went from, and back in early 80s, it was like 43000 something, which would, in today's money would be, you know, much, much higher. But, and that was, that was, you know, that was my, my apex. That was, that was the, what, what I judged my success on, you know, I had that paycheck. Well, my paycheck, my pay went from that down to like $12,000 a year, which is amazing. <laughs> but in that time, we saw God do some amazing things. I kid you not. So it took me a few years to realize that I had actually spoken that into existence with my tongue, with my mouth. So the words that we speak, sometimes we think, you know, whether positive or negative, that it doesn't really mean much. But those words are unto eternity. Words that leave our mouth are just like the words of God because we have his spirit indwelling in us. When God speaks, he said, my word shall not return to me void. My word shall not return to me empty until it accomplishes what I sent it out there to do. And we speak a lot of stuff, you know, very flippantly sometimes and not really putting a lot of thought into what we say. But what we say can tear ourselves down. What we say can remove us from places where God may have wanted us I was in a pretty good position, but over a period of time, I took a root salesman's job, and I was on a commission, and I wasn't real good at it, but I was making a living. But in that time, we didn't do, stop doing one thing. We didn't stop tithing. If we made a dollar, 10 cents went to the church, went to ministry. It didn't matter what it was. We didn't stop tithing. And in that there was like a, probably a year, a little longer, where I was doing that, and God was faithful. We had money come from places we didn't know about. We just It would show up in the mail. God blessed us because we were still faithful, but he was teaching me some big lessons about my mouth. I used to be fairly flippant. 
and I would say a lot of things off the cuff thinking they were funny and they were tearing people down. Now if you see me standing around somewhere and I don't talk a lot, this is the reason. God made me, he said, you know, you talk about the man of few words. That's me. I don't say a lot because my mouth got me in trouble once. And God was very faithful. And eventually he brought me back around to ABF Freight System, which was where I started out in Buffalo, New York, and in St. Louis, Missouri. And I went back to that company and eventually ended up retiring out of Des Moines, Iowa. But God was very good to us and very faithful to us because we were faithful to him. Even though I screwed it up, he said, okay, you're in the dust now, but now I'm going to inch you back out and put you back where I wanted you in the first place. So he did that. And God is faithful. That's what I, I want to leave you with that. God is so faithful. You can't outgive God. He will not owe any man anything. But the words of your mouth, if God wants to bless you and you're basically cursing yourself or cursing others or whatever it might be, those words are eternal. Remember that. Every word we speak has meaning, has definition, and it impacts lives. It impacts your life. Because remember what Jesus said? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out that defiles a man. So at this point, there's an old pastor who was my pastor's pastor when we were in Iowa, John Cherry, who I really admired. He was, a, he was a pastor up in Baltimore, Maryland. He used to say something when he got done. He would say, he would watch the clock and he would say, okay, my time's up and I thank you for yours. And that's what I want to say right now. My time is up and I thank you for being attentive. And I want to leave you with this. And it's Ephesians 3. And it's a prayer pretty much. And I want to pray. So let's just pray together. Father, I thank you that you would grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that you, that us, Champions Church, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you, Champions Church, me, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.